0: Getting sober requires a lot more than mind over matter, a lot more than willpower. It's about leveraging the support around you. People in recovery typically need a mix of medical help, emotional support, and changes in lifestyle to manage their addiction, not just mental determination. As both a therapist and someone embracing the recovery lifestyle, there's one tool I always recommend to people needing extra accountability, sobering. Soberlink is a high-tech breath analyzer system designed to help you get and stay sober. And here's why I love it. You'll test the same day every day, eliminating testing anxiety. So let 2024 be your best year yet. Visit Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M to sign up and receive $50 off your device. That's Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M. And let accountability be your guide.
1: Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey... (sighs) Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now.
0: Hello everyone, welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. This is episode 74. My name is Dwayne Osterland, and I'm your host. I'm also the founder of Novus Mindful Life Institute Family Counseling and Recovery in Long Beach, California. If you or anyone you know is struggling with any of life's challenges, please reach out to us. You can find more information about us at theaddictedmind.com forward slash help. Don't forget, if you are enjoying the Addicted Mind podcast, please share it with a friend or a colleague or go to iTunes and rate and review us. That really does help get us a lot of exposure and I definitely appreciate it. Also, if you'd like to continue the conversation, you can join our Facebook group. Just go to Facebook and type in the Addicted Mind podcast and click join. All right. Today's guest is Erin Miller, and she is going to talk about her journey of losing her son, Chad, to heroin addiction. And I was excited. I don't know if excited is the right word, but grateful that she was willing to come on to the Addicted Mind podcast and talk about this part of addiction so many people are losing their lives to addiction and so many parents out there and family members have to go through that process of grief and loss. And so I was very happy that Erin was willing to come on and talk about it very frankly and right to the point and also talk about what we need to do to help this problem and how she's taking her story And Chad's story, and making meaning out of it, and making it purposeful, and helping others. So, I'm just really happy that she came onto the podcast. So, with that, why don't we go ahead and start it. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. I'm here with my guest, Erin Miller. And she is going to talk about her story with her son, Chad and his struggle with addiction, and his eventual overdose, and how she went through that, and what she's learned, and just share her story. So Erin, you want to introduce yourself?
1: Sure. Thank you so much for having me today. My name is Erin Miller. I'm the mother of Chad Miller. He passed away on November 30th, 2014, and he actually choked on his vomit and became brain dead, and they put him on life support. So they call it an accidental death. However, he had heroin and cocaine and a bunch of other stuff in his system. He was on a hockey scholarship to the United States, playing hockey for a college team in the United States in Chicago. And I got every parent's worst nightmare phone call on November 19th, 2014, asking me if I was Chad Miller. Um, I was a Dr. Hall from Elmhurst Hospital, and I needed to get there as soon as possible. So... That's who I am in relation to what we're talking about today. These are difficult topics. Five years ago, I could not figure out how this could possibly be happening. You know, my thing to them was that, you know, Chad didn't have any money and the Chicago police told me, you know, I could go outside of the hospital and within five minutes I could get everything and more than Chad had in his system for less money than I had in my pocket. And in Five years from now, you know, this would be killing Chad's friends in Canada and they were in a complete epidemic. And here we are five years later and it is destroying addiction, period, is destroying families. People are losing lives and, you know, I have a lot of insight today and a lot of wisdom to share. So I'm really grateful for the work you do and that you, you know, take people like me and I hope people can get one thing out of my message. To help someone and it makes it all worth it.
0: Thank you for saying that. And thank you for coming on. And I just, you know, it's so hard to respond to somebody when they've lost a child. It's just incredibly difficult. You don't even know what to say sometimes.
1: Well, you know, today I look at it in a whole different perspective than I did at the time. Today, I feel very honored and blessed that God actually took him when he did. He took him with a lot of dignity you know, he was on life support. I was able to let him be a donor and I got to say goodbye to him. I have a funeral, all those things. You know, this last four and a half years has been very difficult, of course. But today I'm very grateful that by the grace of God, I was able to see light through Chad Miller's eyes and have his voice voice. To help other people that are suffering, isolated, traumatized, alone. And we're, you know, addiction is running, and I would like to say probably every single household of some sort.
0: Right. Yeah. Without a doubt. I mean, it's, it's at epidemic proportions. So it's everywhere. So I think you sharing your story and Chad's story is going to help other people.
1: It already has. So, you know, I'm very, very fortunate. This takes me a lot of courage to share my story and there is some people that simply will never get it. Right. And I'm glad they never get it. but along my journey what I've learned is that the people that don't get it I'm just really grateful they don't have to get it and I always pray every day that people would just the judgment would just stop. Right. You know, we all have a story. Some of us have harder stories than others and you know, it's led me to writing my first book that's being launched any day now and I have all sorts of amazing things going on so I'm really grateful. And I hope that someone can hear one piece of our story and have some hope in their own situation.
0: Great. Definitely. And I hope that Mm -hmm. this podcast can help you do that too.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for having me.
0: You're welcome. So tell me, let's kind of go in. And when you look back, tell us what you've kind of learned or how did you begin to see this? Or looking back, did you have any idea that Chad had this issue or an addiction issue or Yeah.
1: So in his teenage years, I did know that he had a little bit of an addiction issue. Now, I wouldn't have said that it was anything different than anybody else, you know, drinking, they're smoking pot, these sorts of things. However, I was blessed with a journal of his. So I have a journal that he had to write different topics on when he went to university. And one of them was what it's like not to have a dad. And he speaks about this in his own words what it was like not to have a biological dad in his life. You know, I'll just read a couple of things, you know, how, you know, it was where his pain and suffering started in his teenage years, what it was like to play hockey and see all the other dads there, you know, after the game what it was like to not go outside and play catch with your dad and what his perception of what his biological dad was doing and that he, his biological dad never once reached out to him. So I believe today wholeheartedly that that's where his pain actually started. Now, Chad Miller had a lot of love. He had my whole love. I had him when I was 15 years old. He was my everything. Um, My parents were really involved. He was one of these really great kids, really good leader. Many people would have no idea that he was had any sort of pain, suffering, and those kind of things. I believe he also had a lot of judgment, you know, over the years, different people thinking he was getting bullied for different things. So probably that's probably where it really started for him. He battled back and forth. And looking back, I can see where he was battling back and forth. And he got a fresh start when he went to Chicago to play junior A hockey. He was filling arenas with, you know, thousands of people with signs. He's just the Canada superstar. I was just his hockey mom. So apparently he has these records that people are still trying to break. I don't know anything really about that. But And then he was given a pain medication when he separated his shoulder from the Chicago Blackhawks. And it was called Vicodin. And when I first found out he was given that, I did my research and it is a really highly addictive pain medication. And what I know about it today is that it makes you feel, it kind of lights up the scoreboard for you. And I believe he got addicted to that feeling and then he got himself involved in some other things, living a lifestyle away from home and with, you know, some rock star type people and he got involved with heroin and you know two days before he was put on life support he was still playing hockey my parents were there watching him his junior a hockey career was over and now he was going to university because he won't want to get a business degree and he knew his separated shoulder was never going to get him to the nhl and i don't know if he was ever going to get there anyways but that was always his dream right And so his new dream was to own his own NHL hockey team with one of his buddy, hockey buddies. And then, you know, two days later getting this phone call. So I believe also that addiction runs very deep in the veins of the Miller family, which is, and my mom's family, you know, way, way back to, and so does his biological family's father. Addiction is a really, really tough piece of everyone's life in those families. So he had a lot of things running against him and he made some poor choices. You know, you just have to make one bad choice one time. And I really believe one time when he was at a party when he was, like, you know, 16, he tried something that made him feel pretty darn good.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, it's not uncommon for people who struggle with addiction to have some of these, I guess I would call them darker feelings that they don't know how to deal with or they don't know how to express or for whatever reason, you know, and when they get exposed to Vicodin or an opiate of some kind, it just takes that away. And it's this new, really good feeling.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly it. And, you know, he could have come to me, i told him many times. And I think probably my biggest mistake was that I would say to him, Chad, I think you're addicted to this. And of course, he said no, because didn't want to be either. Right. So, you know, I probably would address things a lot differently. You know, what advice I give people now is that, you know, nobody really admits to their faults and nobody's proud. I haven't talked, I've interviewed thousands of people in the last five years, you know, addicts, people that, you know, are recovering addicts. Well, nobody ever wants to admit that they aren't in control And, you know, the drugs are getting scarier. They're more available on the streets. We have this fentanyl now that is, you know, that's one thing we're actually looking through his chart because we have a feeling that that was in his system. But when they would have told us that five years ago, that wouldn't even have been a word that I would have recognized five years ago, except for I worked in an operating room. So I know that word from there. So these drugs are just getting too available to too many people too quickly. I believe the prescription medications are being handed out like candy, and not maybe in Chad's case, I believe that he was probably given that for pain, you know, by a professional hog. I don't believe that. But I know in my own journey, mental illness after I lost him, you know, I would say that my drug dealer was my psychiatrist, I was on 12 different medications. And really, all I was ever diagnosed with was grief and post traumatic stress syndrome. But you know, one thing leads to the next thing. And then before we know it, you know, we're kind of in a nightmare, and we can't really even see it ourselves. So Mental well being, you know, is something that I really, really advocate for now. You know, people, you know, this crystal meth, these sorts of things where people are so readily available to people and our kids just make one bad decision and it really honestly lays the outline for the rest of their life. And when I was in Chicago after Chad, actually, he got himself in trouble. Him and one of his Russian roommates got caught trying to buy heroin. This was before he died. And, you know, by this time, I'm really out of the loop. He's away, you know, you talk to his coach, you talk to him, and you don't really even know. And again, people, I get criticized for this a, a lot, but I really didn't know. Hindsight is 2020. 20. You only know what people will tell you, even sometimes what you're even willing to even comprehend. And I was watching him play, and it was one of the lawyers from the hockey team that looked at me and said, Aaron, you can never trust him again. He tried heroin. And as this young boy went by the ice and scoring goals and everyone cheering, and that's where I knew I lost him. It didn't matter what he wanted to be, he could never be trusted again. So, you know, my best advice to people is don't try them, don't be at those places. You know, if you have pain and suffering, go outside, feel the fresh air, you know, help. And if you have a child that is suffering, take it into your own hands. There's recovery centers, there's all sorts of things. And I know it costs me and I pray every day that it will cost less money. You know, not all of us are as unfortunate enough to be able to maybe get some of that extra help, but there is help out there.
0: Right. Yeah. And to know that there are resources and, you know, there's therapy, there's other things to help deal with some of that inner pain. If somebody's struggling out there, that there can be relief from it. And to reach out. I think the hardest thing is when we take that pain inside and we don't let anybody else see it you know, for whatever reason, shame, you know, I don't know.
1: Well, shame, guilt,
0: guilt, regret, regret, all of those things. And they're hard to say when we have them, you know, but to reach out to others.
1: I also believe people are grieving what they thought their life should have been like, because, you know, they're not happy with, you you know, someone else could have done the exact same thing at that party, and they didn't get addicted to it. They're going off to do whatever. So sometimes it is just, you know, kind of bad luck. You know, but the thing is, is that if we can help one family, one person, whatever it is, one person at a time by sharing his story, I've been blessed to have been good So I never want to talk to one person about what it's like to pick out your tie for your son's funeral because of something that, you know, probably could have been prevented in a lot of cases. My perspective, like I said, is very different today. But we are in a complete epidemic in Canada, completely. And, and the stuff in the United States hasn't changed at all. It's just getting worse.
0: Yeah, it is. And it's scary. You know, I have young kids and that's, you know, working in the addiction field, that's one of the scariest things I see. And yeah, I definitely worry about that. And I know I have some control, but I also know I don't have full control. And I hope I give them the resources to be able to do that too. And it's scary. Exactly. Mm-hmm.
1: I think being really open, you know, with your kids and telling them that it is okay to have an addiction, you know, if that wasn't your choice, you know, if we all chose our own destiny, we would all choose that we don't have a mental illness, we don't get depressed, we, you know, live the fairy tale life. But the reality is that that's not true. And so there's so much stigma around that. Even today, I still get judged and kicked around every single day. And like I said before, I'm grateful for the people that don't get it. But there's 99% of us that do, and the 1% that kind of don't get it seem to be the ones that are, have a lot of power and control in this world. And, you know, one person at a time, we need to make some really significant changes. And there was no way I was letting my son at 21 years old die and just become a stat. And there's so many people that are living the same life. So I started a foundation called Miller Strong 17 Foundation, I'm a former executive director of a hospital foundation. And, you know, I quit my job, I sold my house and I went off to, you know, kind of do something that had a little bit more purpose for me to be able to show up the best I could. And really that foundation is about purpose because we all lose our purpose somewhere along our story, you know, whether it's a mother or a father or a family that's lost somebody or that is losing somebody to addiction. They might not have died, but you're losing them. And then legacy, you know, because none of us ever, we all want to mark our territory when we leave this world, but we're not here for a long time. And some of us are here for a very short time. And I feel like it's a crime that they're here for a short time because of illegal drugs and not having the right resources in place and, you know, suicide, all those things, right? And it just boils down to the mental well-being of people and the pain and their suffering. And then it goes to like family and community. And then, of course, I'm looking for lots of change, You know, I mean, there's some meetings I'm sitting at for policy change, but I'm really looking at change at one person at a time. You know, the more people that join our Miller Strong family, and I'm not talking about money. I'm just talking about lean on each other. We share our own story because when you share your story, there's somebody else that needs to hear that exact story that you're saying. And then it's about hope because, I mean, along my journey, I lost hope one time and that's where I found God. And so I've been blessed in a million ways. And of course, it's love. When you lose something that is the most important thing to you, your heart literally breaks into 7 billion pieces. And somehow you pick up those pieces and you put your heart back together the best you can and you go for it. And so every day, I, you know, it takes a lot of courage. And I really thank every single person that listens. And I just pray that, you know, one thing that we're saying, doing can help.
0: Yeah, you know, one question I want to ask, and I think because, you know, there's a lot of listeners out there, and because this epidemic is so big that there are other parents out there who have lost their children, and maybe even recently, and I guess, you know, what would you want to let them know in that moment, now that you've kind of walked a little bit farther through it? Yeah,
1: that it's not your fault. You know, I beat myself up and, you know, sometimes I still, you know, depending on other people's comments and, you know, you read the news, you know, but it's not your fault, you know, and I would say 99% of the time that person knew that they could reach out to somebody and they chose something else. But I have never done these drugs. That's why I never got addicted to them. I wasn't at those same places. So I never thought that it would be me speaking about addiction, you know, so I don't know what it feels like, but I know that it overtakes your soul and that as a parent, there was nothing you could have done different. And if there was something, you have to forgive yourself because you never thought it was ever going to be to this. And there's, I can look back at the story at, I did this in my darkest days, you know, well, I should have done this. I could have done this. I should, you know, but really, you know, I believe that if you've done the best that you could with what you've been given and having a child that is addicted to, you know, vinyl, crystal meth, heroin, has mental illness, all those things, know that you did the best you could. And if maybe there was something you could have done better, then reach out to us because maybe we can work together to make it better for the next person you know, I mean, if there would have been a recovery center in where I live, maybe I would have, you know, sent Chad to some sort of wellness recovery center. But then in saying that, I didn't really know how addicted he was. But I think today we're talking a very different story than we were, you know, when he started, he would be 26 now. So in his journal at 15, he was having issues. So 11 years ago, you know, most people were just addicted to alcohol. You know, and maybe, you know, those things. But, you know, as a parent, you have to just know that you did the best you could. And, you know, your only job is to love your kids and loving your kids. Sometimes probably making some, you know, different decisions for them because you love them so much. I've talked to some addicts that, recurring drug addicts, that speak about how they manipulate people to get them to help them to get to their next Level of what they needed to go to, and you know I'm not great at speaking on that. I know I have other people that speak more on that just because I never want to clean I know what it's like because I never had to get clean or fight the addiction. So I give every single person so much credit for just acknowledging it, and grief is super hard. And cut yourself some slack, look after yourself, you know, set boundaries around people you know, judgment is cruel, very, very cruel. And anybody that tells you that or makes you believe that, you know, your kid wasn't worthy or you're not worthy, it's complete bullshit. And I will say that 100%, I care about every single person that has lost their life. And I hope that someday someone can, you know, also get their voice to be able to speak on behalf of their child. So we feel like, you know, your child, you know, passing away at such a young age, there is some sort of purpose to why this has happened. And I understand if someone would have told me this two years ago, I probably would have punched them in the face as I was, you know, going through this. So grief is hard. I used to take it one second at a time sometimes. But, you know, forgiving yourself, you know, grieving, getting mental health help you need so you don't go the same whirlwind. I mean, I started having a box of wine almost every night. And so, you know, that could have been my dream. And for the grace of God, it wasn't. So, you know, and don't lose hope. You know, when we lose hope in any of our stories, and I believe that a lot of people that are addicted to drugs have lost hope in themselves, because it takes over their body.
0: Yeah, I think that's so true. And that's where we have to have So much compassion for anybody struggling with addiction so that they can get help, they can get support, they can mess up and come back and try again. And
1: yeah, it's okay. You know, every day is a battle, right? Yeah. If you have a slip up, that doesn't mean you're a failure. That means that tomorrow it's going to be better than it was today. And I admire with the most respect. I've actually met in my whole journey, I've met one man that is a recovering heroin addict where he actually when i was writing my book in indonesia he just happened to come and sit beside me and he was the one man that could kind of give me even just an inkling of what heroin does to you right because most of the people that i've spoke to either the people are you know and are not living anymore or they're still doing heroin or they're in jail or they're doing good heroin so their life is still really good, you know, but I got a really good chance to talk to this uh, fellow. His name was Eddie and he really inspired me to, I'm never ever going to understand it fully, but when we all work together and we all piece our stories together, we need to lean on each other, especially on the darkest days and, you know, provide help for people that need it. You're not alone. And I believe our systems are failing us miserably in North America, probably in the whole world, But, you know, there's not enough help for the crisis that we're in. You see people, you know, presenting at a hospital that they, you know, are either addicted to something and they're crying for help. And yet the help is just not there. And it's not anybody's fault. It's the systems are not set up right now for us to really, really win. Unless you can get yourself into private rehabilitation, which honestly, by the time you're ready for help, you have probably hit the bottom and you've probably stole from everyone you know, you don't talk to anyone that loves you anymore. And your friends are in the same situation as you. So to get that help is really, really hard. And so every day I just keep on, you know, plugging away to that we can, you know, get some policy changes and start making some things more available. So when people are ready for the help, it's there for them. And I know that unless the person is really ready, in my understanding, when they want it, you know, as long as it's available for them, we can keep them as safe as we can and know that they are loved, no matter what.
0: And then I would also, I would add that for you and the grieving parents that you're also loved. Of course.
1: I've been kicked around so terribly. No, I started a foundation in memory of him. The next day, I was arrested by my former colleagues, physicians from my old place that I worked, saying I appeared overconfident. And my freedom was taken away from me. I was formed under the Mental Health Act in Canada. And I had a meeting with a publicist in New York the next day. I was off to Indonesia to go do some diving and meeting a spiritual healer. And this is where that judgment, you know, When we think judgment, like judgment needs to stop from the top to the bottom. Who says that I am overconfident because I start a foundation in memory of my son because I never wanted anyone to forget him? I'm the former executive director of the Portage District General Hospital Foundation. You know, and where it sits today, you put in a complaint and they're not even sure they're going to put it through to an investigation. Well, that's crap. You know, I'll just call it what it is.
0: I think it's very, very hard for people who have not lost a child to understand the immense level of grief that comes with that process. And yeah, I don't know how to put it in words.
1: Well, I can say it one way that Julie Baker, a minister that did Chad's service, said to me, and I'll never forget how she said it to me. She goes, you know what, Aaron, grief is losing him today, but grief is what should have been. And it will not haunt you. That's not her right words, but it will be with you forever. So this is why I set the foundation for legacy, you know, for other people to tag on to... We never want people to forget them. They're not just this. They're not just that. You know, this idea that different people's lives matter differently because of some decisions or choices, and often they're from other people's decisions and choices, is wrong. So you know, you always love your child, you know, and you always will work for them. And somehow we can help you do that. I've been blessed to have been able to, you know, be in the position I am today. And it has been a battle. I'm, my book is being released any day now. It's called Miller Strong, Rewrite Your Story, Take a Stand and Turn Your Past into Your Superpower. Now, I can't even spell. So I'm not sure how I even got into writing a book, but it was as the Miller Strong story. How, you know, I wanted to rewrite Chad's story. So I started the foundation. Well, that kind of got blocked because I was, well, it's not blocked, but, you know, the next day I get arrested. I've never been arrested in my entire life. I don't even have a speeding ticket. And I'm not saying that I'm better than anyone else. I learned how to drive when I had a one month old. So it's very interesting that, you know, how society is able to do certain things to certain people, and it's just wrong. And then I went, went off to Indonesia, and I was healed by an Indonesian healer and that is Christian and God. I found God a couple times throughout my spiritual journey, and you know if somebody told me something about God two years ago, again, I would have probably, like, how can God do this? And yet, I don't know that every single thing is God's plan. I'm not 100% convinced about that. However, I do believe that this was God's plan for Chad. You know, he was a donor of his eyes. And they said to me, one day, someone will look through the eyes of Chad Miller. I guess it was me all along. And to have his voice is a blessing. I mean, I miss him every day. You know, as far as I'm concerned, he's a legend. And I never wanted anyone to forget him. So in my aha moments when I'm writing my book, I'm like, I just rewrote his story and mine. I've had lots of trouble and trauma along my life. I was raped at a young age. You know, I had a child when I was 15. I was in a horrible relationship. I was blessed by a daughter. Her name's Kaylee. She's amazing. Blessed with Chad and his journey. And, you know, after I lost Chad, you know, what that grief was really like. And then off to a spiritual healer to be, you know, saved by the glory of God. And so I'm like, I guess sometimes the stars and moons line up and I feel extremely grateful to be sharing the Miller Strong story. And I hope one thing I talk about, someone can look at. I know there's many women right now that, you know, raped when they're sexually assaulted and they go and tell somebody and that person maybe doesn't believe them. And so I share all these things and I share what kinds of tools I've learned along the ways, what I did to get to my next stage. And so, you know, there, you know, I have someone that's helping me put it together.
0: So getting all of the meaning out of Chad's death. Exactly. And making that mean something.
1: Yeah. So like I said, I don't necessarily think, you know, when people say it's God's plan, I don't necessarily think this was God's plan for this disaster. Like what I, you know, I spent one night on the street uh, last two weeks ago, because I wanted to see what his life would be like now you know, if God didn't take him that day, what would his life be like? You know, he might've been the one that was selling drugs and, you know, I'm not sure what all happens. It's hard to say, but that's not what kind of guy or that's not what I would ever want for him. And the only thing that could have been worse in his story is if he just went missing. And that happens a lot. There's many, many people that are just missing and, you know, I have a sneaking suspicion and a lot of it has to do with, you know, corruption, of course. But you know, drugs and addiction and so I know that we can't change everything, but one person at a time, one prayer at a time, you know, if one hope at a time, I really, really am grateful for the opportunity. And I thank every single one person that has joined our Miller Strong family supporting me because as I'm the leader of this, you know, I need a lot of support also. Right. Even though I've done all the grief work and you know, I look at it in a different perspective and a different view today. Of course, I'm still sad. You know, I give myself 10 minutes a day to be like, this really, really sucks, you know. But I mostly, you know, I get up in the morning and I have a routine of things I've done. And I speak about this in my book, all the things I do for self-care. And we all need to start looking after ourselves just a little bit better and give yourself a break. I do believe people are doing the best they can with what they've been given And sometimes we've been given a lot and sometimes we've been given very little, but we just can't give up our hope.
0: Can't give up our hope. We can't. So and we're getting to the end of our time. Right on. If there's anything you want to share, anybody's listening to this podcast, What would you want to tell them?
1: Yeah. So, you know, this journey is really just starting. So, I believe my website is up and running now, it's called millerstrongbook.com. So, my book will be available on Amazon, Chapters Indigo, as far as I know. And, you know, I use the hashtag, hashtag millerstrong17 for everything I do. So, it's easy to try to get in contact with us. Millerstrong17 Foundation is our interest foundation. But really believe in yourself and don't give up hope in the story of whatever living. And there is an ability to rewrite your story and to share how I was able to not only rewrite Chad's, but myself and care about your neighbors, treat people with respect and welcome to the Miller Strong family.
0: Oh, thank you so much. I'll put all the links in the show notes as well on the website. and. Awesome. I just really appreciate you coming on and sharing your story and Chad's story and Thank you. just being part of the Addicted Mind Podcast and sharing your story. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you for listening to the Addicted Mind Podcast. As usual, all the show notes will be at theaddictedmind.com forward slash 74. Once again, if you're enjoying the Addicted Mind, please share it with a friend or go to iTunes and rate and review it. That really does help us get exposure and it's very meaningful for me to be able to see those reviews and see that people are listening and care about the work that's happening here. So I really enjoy that. Also, you can join our Facebook group. Just go to Facebook and type in the Addicted Mind podcast. will come up, click join. So have a wonderful day and I will talk to you on the next episode.